The reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Hear the word of the Lord. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them. And he said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and, and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Once upon a time, there was a church in a small southern town where the bishop appointed a new minister. That was no surprise. The, the surprise was that the new minister was a woman. Two retired guys in the congregation always made a point of taking the new pastor fishing as an act of welcome. They decided to offer, sure that she would refuse, but to their dismay, she gleefully agreed. And after a day in the boat of some very good fishing, it began to grow late, and the minister said she needed to get back to the church for an evening meeting. No way, said Joe. It's been a good day. I'm not leaving yet. So the pastor waited a half an hour and repeated her request to call it a day and head back to shore. It looks like you're going to have to swim, pastor, commented Sam. Joe never leaves until he's ready. The pastor waited 20 minutes. Then she said, you sure you won't go ashore? Not yet, replied Joe. So the pastor stepped over the side of the boat and walked across the water to the shore, up the bank, and into her car. Well, would you look at that, Sam? They not only sent us a woman, they sent us one who can't swim. And now for the story that actually really matters, a familiar gospel story to be sure, even to those who don't know the Bible well. We all know how it ends. The storm settles and no one drowns and the disciples are finally convinced that Jesus is not some ordinary teacher but the Son of God. 
that still leaves a lot of questions beyond even the obvious ones related to the laws of physics. What does it mean that Jesus walked through a raging storm on the Sea of Galilee early in the morning to a boatload of scared disciples? And why did he leave them there alone all night instead of coming more immediately to their rescue? And what role does doubt play in hearing the voice of God? Immediately before this account of the storm and Jesus' walking on water and Peter's brief venture out of the boat came the feeding of the 5,000, and before that, the murder of John the Baptist, the disciples and Jesus must be worn out, wrung out, exhausted. Is it any wonder that Jesus goes up to the mountain to pray and be left alone? Can we blame the disciples for thinking they're seeing a ghost after they've been battered around in a boat all night within inches of being tossed into the sea? And yet, in the end, in the end there comes this incredible declaration, truly you are the Son of God. In the end, after the grief and the service, the fear and the confusion, the storms and the disorientation, comes worship. The disciples move from what I assume were thoughts of, where are you, Jesus, to that can't be Jesus, to call me to come to you, Jesus, to save me, Jesus, and finally to thank you, Jesus. Truly, you are the Son of God. And what I would like us to claim together today is that every stage of that story is a different aspect of the life of faith that we continue to cycle through in our own journey with God. That's why I think the gospel writers included it. That's, that's why we keep telling it, because it resonates with our experience. Not the walking on water part, but the striving part, the fear, the anxiety, the thinking we're alone, the doubt, the cynicism, the tentative bravery, the falling and the getting back up and the hearing the voice of God in the storm or, or, or when the bush in front of you catches fire like Moses or when you find yourself in the pit like Joseph after his brothers threw him in or in the belly of the whale like Jonah, or in the lion's den like Daniel, or in the cave like the one Elijah escaped to after the earthquake and the storm and heard God in the still, small voice of silence, or like the prophet Jeremiah with his people in exile far from home, or like Mary pregnant and alone, or like Paul blinded on the road to Damascus, or like Jesus on the cross. The entire biblical story tells of God's people under threat. They all have reasons to be afraid. They all have reasons to doubt. Their safety is not guaranteed. Their place in the community with others is not guaranteed. But God does not leave God's beloveds to navigate those hard things alone. God comes to each of them, to each of us in different ways and offers presence and guidance and the things that the heart needs to endure. Sometimes it does truly feel like God is nowhere in sight and like everything is uncertain. 
It's not until the morning in our story that Jesus comes to meet his friends. He's been praying before the storm even started, maybe even praying for them, and they made it through the night on their own, though they are anxious and afraid. The sea, always a symbol of chaos in the Bible, is raging on, and Jesus walks toward the chaos, toward the battered boat, and for a moment, Peter is also able to move toward the chaos too, to do the impossible. And yes, he begins to fall, but that's not the end of the story. Recently, I had kind of a neat opportunity to rent a stand-up paddleboard and try it out on the lake. The first time I heard about these things was a few years ago when my friend invited me to sup with her on the river. So I showed up in a sundress carrying appetizers and found her in a bathing suit with a paddle. I didn't know that sup is an abbreviation for stand-up paddleboard, which is kind of how I ended up on the shore eating cheese and crackers and watching her do yoga moves on this flat surfboard-looking thing in the middle of the water. She was amazing, but she also fell several times that day, and I never felt a desire to try it after that. Until a few weeks ago, talked into it by an annoyingly fit young man who attached a rope to my ankle and gave me exactly two instructions, use the paddle to balance, and when the waves come, turn to face toward them. I'm a good swimmer and it was shallow water, so I, I had no reason to be afraid, but, but I was. I doubted my ability to do it and I fell within a few minutes. But then I got back on and I found my balance after working through some rough waters for about an hour. I faced into the waves. I used muscles I rarely rely on, and as the paddle gently went in one side and then the next, I started to feel peaceful and calm and confident, like I had accomplished something. Until a lady in her 70s passed by me on her own sup, so stable that her dog was quietly sitting on the front of the board. It was humbling. But I learned to overcome that tiny bit of fear you get sometimes when you do things that there's no reason to have fear for. I'll probably be afraid again, but I think that's what life is. One fear after another that we work through. And I find it fascinating that Jesus, when, when Jesus addresses Peter with his question, that he asks it even to begin with. The question is, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I mean, we're talking about doing something physically impossible, and Jesus is asking, why did you doubt? But I hear that gently. I don't think Jesus is chastising Peter. I don't think he's making fun of him. I don't even think he's calling him to a bigger faith. Because little is not an insult to the one who said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. The one who addressed his beloveds as little ones and who told them, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and, and it will move. 
little faith plus big God is enough. In the story that precedes this one, 5,000 people are fed out of one lunch pail. Peter had only a little faith, but no one else got out of that boat. A little faith may be all that is needed to transform a story that starts in terror into a story that ends in worship, enough to get us from save me, Jesus, to thank you, Lord. But in between those times, we're very much in this space of uncertainty, and it's so important that we don't go it alone. As a society, we've all moved into this liminal space with the pandemic, with the long overdue racial justice reckoning. Liminality is a quality of ambiguity and disorientation that occurs in transitory situations and spaces. It happens when a person or a group of people is betwixt and between something that has ended and a new thing that is not yet ready to begin. Franciscan friar Richard Rohr said, liminality is that space where human beings hate to occupy, but it's the place where the biblical God is continually taking us. The Bible itself is one large liminal tale. Every one of our great biblical tales is a tale of liminality. Every hero or heroine is a story of someone oriented in a place and time who became disoriented. And in the disorientation, God did a work in their lives and they heard or sensed the voice of God. What about us? As we look around and see the waves crashing in every direction, feeling vulnerable and afraid, can we for moments at least be in touch with what Jesus, I think, would have us remember the Spirit of God at work within us, our own bodies as potential sites of divine possibility for steadying ourselves and each other in the midst of chaos. Somewhere within, though it requires some breath and prayer and practice and community, we all have what it takes to move in to the heart of chaos with courage for the sake of our shared labor with God. When Jesus says, take heart, it can also be translated because of that root, Greek and Latin root for heart, core, can also be translated as be encouraged, have courage. We can follow Peter's example and be willing to step out of the comfort and security of the boat and head in to the troubled waters of the world to proclaim the love and mercy and justice of God that we find in Jesus Christ. Because anyone who isn't scared about anything right now, who doesn't feel a pang in the heart from time to time, is not maybe paying attention or avoiding their feelings. Our faith calls us to move toward the things we're afraid of with the help of others and with God. Even if we are only barely balanced on our paddleboard, we need to make the turn and face the waves to see what those waves are teaching us, telling us, or trying to warn us about, even if it means using new muscles that are unfamiliar. So whether we are afraid of 
of getting COVID because of our own health condition or our family members or vulnerable friends or whether we're afraid of losing our access to housing because we can't make the rent or whether we're afraid of the impact of these days on our children and their, their health and their education and their access to community and food and play whether we are afraid that the attention to systematic racism amidst protesters and public conversations is falling once again by the wayside to other matters, or whether we are afraid our politicians will ever get better, or whether we are afraid we will lose our mental health, our faith community, our salaries, or another friend to drug overdose, there are reasons to be afraid. It's natural. It's human and it's faithful. It means we have the courage to admit our fears and that as little as our faith may be with Jesus, it is enough. We have to tend those fears together so that we can reach out a hand when necessary so that we know we have people around us to whom we can cry, help me, when we're struggling and see in their response the grace of God so we can see that it is not only those who are unafraid who walk on water so that we know that even fear and doubt in this liminal space can prepare us to hear that still, small voice of God in our own heart language. And so, in worship and in life, that we too can keep on singing. Amen. <laughs>